Welcome to Business Talk with Henrietta. This is the place where we speak with the most up and coming female entrepreneurs to figure out how they build the life of their dreams. This episode is sponsored by the Norwegian accountant system TripleTex and the Norwegian accountant firm Bilagsweber AS. And also Anyfin, which is a new collaborator on this podcast. And today we are so lucky to speak with Nima Tistal. She is the founder of Blue Lobster, which is a marketplace for sustainable fish. She's also a Forbes 30 under 30 and Europe leader in Obama Foundation and also a member of World Economic Forum. She serves as a board member in multiple initiatives like the Ministry of Food and with Purpose, guiding women through the early stages of starting a company. Now she's also co-founded something called Sada DK, which is a youth movement. There's a lot of things going on here. And today I want to talk about your founder journey, how to make money, but also doing something good for the environment at the same time, your perception of the startup ecosystem in the Nordics, and also how we can lift each other up even more. Welcome to Business Talk, Nima. Thank you so much and thanks for having me. Yeah, it's fun. We actually met at a Antler event where you were holding a speech about your biggest fuck-ups in your startup journey. Yeah, there's a lot of so them. There's a lot of really, them. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of going on. And could you just, you know, give us a intro of you? How did you become the person you are today? Oh, well, that's that's a that's a big question. <laughs> um well, I think, um, how did I become the person I am today? Well, I, I think it starts when you're born, I guess. I was born to an Irish mother and a Nepalese father, but in Denmark. But it meant that I grew up half of my life in Denmark, half of my life in Nepal. So I grew up between two very different types of societies, um, both in terms of culture, but especially also in terms of, let's say, wealth. Because Denmark, we had a system where there was a safety net, no matter what, basically, what you did in life, you would be taken care of. And we have a strong welfare state where... You know, you're always going to have housing or, or, or unemployment benefits or something like that. On the other end of the spectrum, I was living in Nepal, which was one of the poorest countries in, in Asia at that time. And um, I mean, we, we were dealing with people who couldn't feed their kids. Right. So growing up as a kid between those two environments, I think, leaves a huge impression because you grow up not really understanding as a child why the world looks so different. And being part of both cultures, I, it wasn't like some of it was in a faraway land for me. It was really, truly my homes. So um, I think that was probably the, the beginning of, uh, of my, my life's purpose, which is to make the world a better place um, and for other people as well. Like I want to make sure that, that whatever I do, um, other people are somehow benefiting from it. Mm. Could, you, could you tell us about your founder journey? Why did you want to become an entrepreneur? Uh in the first place so i think it's funny i don't think i don't know that i had like didn't want to be an entrepreneur as such it was more like this feeling inside of me that i couldn't help but to create something like i just wanted to build and um i think once you experience the journey of having an idea inside your head and then executing it and then becoming real life it becomes addicting <laughs> you know like you want to just do it again and again and again um so my founding journey with blue lobster started because um my co-founder, she's from America. Her name is Christine Hebert, and she came to Denmark to study, and we became friends. And at some point, she comes to me and she says, "Like, where's all the f fresh seafood?" Like, she had some expectation that 
um, we would have lots of small fishermen everywhere in Denmark because we had lots of coast and she couldn't find it. So it actually started kind of spontaneously with us going down to the harbors, talking to the fishermen and realizing that the fishermen were getting a very little part of the income from the sale of a fish. And then we just reverse engineered from there. We found all the issues with the supply chain, the logistics chain. Um, so it really came from finding a need uh, combined with the passion for creating stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that what motivates you? Creating stuff? No, it's a little pause here for us to talk about anything. Visste du at i dag så har vi nordmenn mer enn 150 milliarder i usikra gjeld, og med det er nordmenn blant på toppen på gjeldsnivåstatistikken i Europa. Og Anyfin, som er min samarbeidsmarter, ønsker selvfølgelig å gjøre noe med det her. Med smart teknologi og ved å hoppe over noen unødvendige steg, så kan de tilby lavere renter til kundene sine. Det er ikke så mange av oss som vet at man faktisk kan påvirke renta og senke kostnadene sine, og det her kan man jo gjøre ved å søke om lavere rente. Og det her hjelper Anyfin deg med. Du søker gratis for å se om Anyfin kan senke renten og forbedre vilkårene dine på delbetaling, forbrukslån og kreditkort. Så når Anyfin har gått gjennom søknaden din, så vil de komme tilbake til deg med tilbud. Men bare hvis de faktisk kan tilby deg et bedre tilbud da. Eller lavere kostnad eller bedre vilkår. Etter det så kan du velge om du vil ta tilbudet eller ikke. Og hvis du aksepterer det så betaler du Anyfin i stedet for at du betaler direkte til kreditorene dine. Og det vil da så være med en lavere kostnad hvis Anyfin klarte å finne det. Anyfin senker kundenes rente med 50% i snitt. Og hvis du har delbetaling, forbrukslån og kreditkort, så anbefaler vi deg å laste ned Anyfin-appen og sende inn et gratis søknad. Så du kan bruke koden min BUSINESS som ligger nederst her i beskrivelsen. Og tusen takk til Anyfin for at dere sponser dagens episode. Og takk til dem for at de hjelper folk med å få bedre økonomi. I think so, yeah. I, I think so. Well, I think, no, I would say more than that, it motivates me to, um, to, to again, to make the world, world a better place. Like, that really, that really excites me. The idea that when I'm done with this life, then I've left the world better than I found it. That that would be my biggest dream for, 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 for my existence. Um, but sure, it's also very motivating to feel that creative energy coming out. And to be honest, I think it's something that a lot of women might be able to relate to more. We've actually looked at that because when we look at female entrepreneurs, we have disproportionately less for some reason. And we're trying to figure out why. Like, why is it that less women are jumping into entrepreneurship? But one of the things that I think mm. might be part of it is that we usually talk about entrepreneurship as earning a lot of money. <laughs> like, and there's nothing wrong with earning money. I'm, I'm in the business of for profit. So, but... But there's something about the discord, about that being the main reason that people are in it, chasing the gold, that I don't think is as appealing to the, let's say, average woman as it is the average man. So I think it, it attracts different mm. types of people. But I think if we talk more about um, creating startups as fulfilling passions or working on things that, you're, that you enjoy bringing to life, I think we're going to see a more diverse mm. set of founders out there. Yeah. And how do you actually think we can... Of course, building a business is uh, both for doing good and, and impacting more people, but also making money. How how do you think you can make money by doing something you love and also, you know, making a good impact on the world? 
that that's the that's the uh, that's the art of it, right? <laughs> you have to. I believe that you um, in this in the way that we live now, we have to find a way to make money. Otherwise, we can't continue to sustain the things that we want to do. I think um, I think the beauty of for profit is that we can find ways to be creative about earning money that can keep our passions going forever. That's really how I see it. So let me put it this way. If I had a charity, for example, and I wanted to um, build a home for someone, then I could go out, I could raise money from someone externally, and then I'd build a home for someone else, and then I'd build it, and then I'd be out of money again, and I'd have to go find it once again. But if I can somehow make it a model where for every time I build money, I'm earning a little bit, I can put that back into building more homes and we will always have like, let's say sustainable financing, you know, um, having financials that will continue to exist and continue to fuel the mission that we're on. So I find the space of for-profit incredibly interesting. As long as there's a strong core mission at the, in the middle of it, that's driving everything that you do. I think it can be a fantastic way um, mm. of, of making a positive difference in the world because I think it's more, it's long lasting. Exactly, and you're making a positive impact with uh, the company we built uh, in in Blue Lobster. But I've also heard, like as we also spoke uh, on the event, that you have now given the CEO role to your co-founder, and you have decided to kind of step out of the operations and in building that company. So why and what are you doing today? Yeah. Um, so the reason was that well, the reasons obviously. It's a, it was a personal journey and, and, and more complex than than uh, than just a quick decision. But I think the root of it was that I realized I was spending my days not doing what I loved anymore. And I wasn't. And when you were doing something, in my case, it wasn't what I was best at either. I'm really good at the zero to one, meaning that you have nothing and you create something. Like that's what I'm good at. I'm great at creating something out of thin air. You know, um, we got into a place in Blue so where we were working more with operations and more with like just making the logistics work and we were really just we were executing a plan and, and really i mean it's kind of mess i feel like it's kind of masochistic or something but i wanted to be back into an environment where there was nothing where i could start building out of thin air again um, and luckily i had a fantastic co-founder who was excited about the role of the next steps that the company was going to take so she took that so she's the, now the ceo uh, and i'm actually moving into a space where i can work on more projects but also um actually getting into some investment parts. So uh, that's not quite <laughs> official yet, but I'm moving into uh, to the investment space. So I'm kind of excited about what, what is it going to be like to move from the operator perspective into the investment perspective. And what I really hope personally is to gain a better understanding of, of what makes a strong startup case and, and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And also being on the, like you've been on the founder side, building something from the ground and up, and now you want to go into the investment side. So what what is the biggest challenges you see then in the you know being from coming from one side and then going over to the other in the investment side what what is the biggest changes you see and also the biggest challenges uh there and also yeah what makes a good startup and also i yeah there's a lot of questions here but but what what do you see going from one side to the other I think mostly I see it as a strength because you you know all you you've, you learn so much by walking the walk yourself. Like there's so many mistakes that you've made that you know to look out for, but also like the, a large part of my network are other founders, so we talk to each other and we know why. So we've seen some of these things before, but you've also experienced it on your own body and you know how painful those mistakes are to make. But in terms of challenges, I think 
there's an art to being part of a startup, being supportive of a startup, but not getting too involved and trusting the people that you invest in. And I think as a founder, that's what I'm going to be really, you know, attentive to that. I don't, that I don't overstep into operational feedback because I, I believe you need to trust the founders that you invest in. If I invest in you, for example, and believe in your company, that's because I think you're going to make the right decision. So finding that, but at the same time as an operator, I'm sure I'm going to look at what you're doing and think, oh, no, I have an idea here, I have an idea here. Because that's what operators are like. That's why we became entrepreneurs. We have all these ideas. So going on to the investment side, that's something that I'm trying to be very mindful of is giving feedback, but at an arm's length and trusting the people to, that maybe they don't make every single decision that you would have had, but th that's not your role anymore. Your role is not to run that company. Your role is to support the people who do. Mm, exactly. But but you've also, you know, we need to speak about this and I'm trying to raise the conversation even more, uh, even though it's a sore point that, you know, we know the 0.1% uh, of uh, capital goes to female founded teams. And what was the biggest challenge for you along the way as a female founder? Can you share some experiences that maybe some of our listeners uh, can, you know, know the same struggles that, that you've had? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I want to talk about it. And it is tough. It is tough to talk about um, because, you know, you don't want to you don't want to scare people, I think was one thing. I don't want to scare female founders from jumping into it. And um, and I don't want to make it I don't want to speak into an aggressive conversation because I think often it can get really uncomfortable to be in in this in this uh, in this dialogue. For some reason, people get very upset about it. They get very emotional. And by when I say emotional, I don't mean a lot of emotional women. In fact, I think it's mostly emotional men who don't who feel attacked. Um, so if, first of all, it's important to say that whatever I say now doesn't have to do with all men in the whole world. It has to do with my experiences of being a founder. But I think when we look at the very early stage, we had a lot of experiences with people who tried to romanticize relationships with us as, as early stage founders. When we're both in fundraising, but also in just trying to find partnerships and trying to find early customers. And I think, um, well, I'll put it this way. When we started off the company, we were, we the first 10 people we spoke to, eight of them tried to make it romantic somehow. They tried to turn it into a date. They tried to, you got inappropriate LinkedIn messages or something afterwards where you're like, okay, no, I'm not gonna talk to those people anymore because that was uncomfortable and awkward. And, um, I would say that kind of stopped with time. The more credibility Blue Lobster got, it, it slowed down a little bit, but it actually made mm -hmm. me angrier because then I was like, so all these people were willing to take advantage of us when we were so young and we didn't have any network. We didn't have any platform to stand on. And that's when you were going to make advances and try to be inappropriate with us. That really bumps me out in retrospect. Um, and what I want to say about also is that we're in the startup environment in a very informal networking setting. So there's lots of coffees, there's lots of beer after work, there's lots of let's grab a dinner, let's go. So that we're you're flowing in this space where like we're colleagues, but we're not in the same company. So are we colleagues? We're more peers. What does it mean to be a peer? Can a peer be romantic? And we're a bit confused about what that all means. And I think there's a there's a there's some different issues around it. I think we're not really comfortable with how to to interact and socialize between genders that are attracted to each other yet. And with uh, I think as an as a young woman, maybe it's difficult to know: is this appropriate behavior? Am I allowed to be spoken to like this? Is it okay if this man touches me like this and this and this? And maybe you don't say no yeah. fast enough. But really, the problem is that there are some people who are taking very early professional relationships and trying to romanticize it. So. That was a big, big um, difficulty because 
I can tell you very quickly, one of three things happened. Either when you say no, because you have to say no, to a romantic advance, either one, they get mad, and then you have someone screaming at you, I wasn't even attracted to you, I didn't know, I, I only like blondes, that's not what I meant. And you're like, oh my goodness. That's <laughs> two, um, you have someone who doesn't care, and they just continuously spam your inbox saying, oh, you still look good in this new post, you still look good, blah, blah, blah. You know, if you ever want, I'm here, wink, wink. That's just annoying. And the third one um. is someone who's just generally a, they apologize and they feel awkward and they say, I'm sorry, I misread the situation. That's probably the most common one, actually. But but it's awkward. And every time you see that person again at a networking event or at a meeting, it's uncomfortable. Like, it's just generally uncomfortable and you feel bad because you hurt their ego and they feel bad because they feel embarrassed and they feel like they overstepped a line. And, and in the whole, you as a female founder have lost all three of those connections. Like, you've burned all of those bridges. So finding a way to also get over those awkward mm. situations, I think is vital for us to have some conversations about. So we don't just continuously go out there, build up network that we then lose again. Um, and I think mm. a final point is the reason that I use the sexualization experiences is not because that's the only sexism that I experienced, but it's the most obvious because there's some, there's lots of times where you experience mm. something as a female founder or of other probably minorities or different groups of people. And you feel like, was that because I was, a man maybe maybe someone thought thought i thought certain things as a man or because i'm from this country or whatever or as a woman i'm not sure if maybe they just didn't like me maybe it had nothing to do with me being a woman maybe they just personally didn't like me but with the romantic mm -hmm. stuff it just becomes very evident that my male colleagues didn't have to deal with that and i did so it's the most easy um conversation to talk about when it comes to gender but there is a whole plethora of mm -hmm. other stuff that's way more gray zone and way more difficult to put words on yeah, i think i think uh, it's easier to put words on that because it's quite specific you can put up specific examples and that shows kind of what you're trying to prove another thing that is kind of hard to prove is the gender bias that already are out there in the vc world especially that when they see a female name it it's like automatically changes a way of thinking um just because we are we are built like that, so we're, we're humans, and we are we're also fucking up, right? Even though we say we want to do good things, we we are biased, and we have yeah different places where we come from. So, but what is your biggest fuck up on, up until now? My biggest fuck up? Oh my goodness, <laughs> there are so many. Um, okay, I'll, I'll say this because um, I. What, one of the biggest fuck-ups that we've had, and I'll say this because I think it's important to hear as an early-stage founder, is n losing my self-confidence once we started growing and we started um, getting, let's say, for example, investors on board. We started, we started growing, we started getting advisors and investors and all bunch of people who were involved in our company. And, and I think there were a lot of fuck-ups that came from me losing sight of being the captain of the boat, basically. Because as a founder, that's your job. It is your job to have vision, to set direction, and then to execute that plan. But I think when you're when you're just starting off on the journey, and there's so many unknowns, like there are unknown unknowns that you're encountering every single day, so you're reacting to things all the time. And you and if you then have a network of good advisors around you, you might be really prone to thinking, I just need to do what they say. Like I just need to whatever people around me are telling me to do, I will just do that. And in, and I think to some extent that's true, like you should listen to good advice and people who are smarter than you, but to a certain extent, it has to be within, let's say, the realm of still having your sight on the end goal. Because if you're not 
if you don't know where you're going and you start taking advice, you, you, you risk pivoting a bunch of different times or making decisions that could be right in one context, but not in another. And it sounds a bit abstract, but really, I think finding your own self-confidence to say, I know that I know what we're supposed to do in this situation. That's super important. List, like learning to zone in on your intuition and, and your own personal vision. That's the most important thing, because the truth is you can't build a company that someone else wants to build. If you're the CEO, if you're the founder, you have to build a company you want to build. That's also why people have believed in you in the first place. Mm, exactly just keeping your like inner gut and stay stick with that uh and i have also kind of re like uh, experienced this like you get advice people are so you know it's so easy for people to give advice and like uh, oh you should do this you should do that talk to this person talk to that person people just want to help and that's positive as well but then it's so important to just stick to okay what wh where where am i going right now okay take a step back and like okay this is fun but but where am i actually going so that is that is actually really a good advice in in sticking to your path and your growth path so how do you look at you know Early stage companies. Growth. Og nu har jeg litt lyst til å snakke om min erfaring med min regnskapsfører, nemlig Bilagsfeber AS, som også er samarbeidspartner på denne episoden. Det å ha regnskapsfører er veldig deilig, altså. Selv om man kan gjøre det selv, så er det mange fallgruver og mange feil som til og med jeg har gjort i regnskapet mitt. Enda jeg er, vil si at jeg er over gjennomsnittet god på trippeltex. Um, Bilagsfeber er jo eksperter i trippeltek, så jeg oppdager jo nye funksjoner hver eneste dag som jeg ikke visste om. Og da er det deilig å ha noen som, som kan det, og som også må spesialisere seg på startups, scale-ups og små selskaper. Det gjør bilagsfeber. De er enkel å samarbeide med, og ja, hjelper meg å minne på de, de reglene man faktisk må følge da, som, som en bedriftseier. Så jeg vil anbefale deg, hvis du nå er ute etter en regnskapsfører som også har fast pris, så vil jeg sjekke ut linken som jeg har lagt i beskrivelsen her, bilagsfeber.no. Gå så gjerne inn og følg dem på Instagram, bilagsfeber.as. De er helt ny der, så gå inn og støtt og følg med. It is crazy. I'm looking at, you know, you have two different things. You have both businesses and you have startups. There's a totally different way of growing a company. A business you can grow steadily, easily, in, or not easily, but in the way you want it to be. Like, But a startup with VC investors, it is supposed to be hyper growth. They should have a 10x return on their money, you know? How do you look at that? The difference between building like a stable business and also hyper growing a business in a VC case. Let me just share some, some yeah. insights there. Well, I think I think it's apples and oranges. You know, I think it is really it is your home summer. It's two different things, and uh, I think you should, as a founder, when you're starting off and deciding I want to start a company, be very aware of what path you choose because I think it can be very easy to just say I'm going to take the VC money, I'm going to grow, 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 grow. But it's a different path than saying that you know if you saw your maybe your parents had a had a company or something and you watched them grow. It's a different journey. And I think it's really important when you in that early stage think about what what is it that I want to do? Do I want to build a business where I can have an income and maybe hire a couple more people, maybe 10 more people, maybe 20 more people? 
is that the journey I want to go on? Then maybe mm -hmm. the VC route isn't for you, but you're, you have to, you're going to compromise on different things in the different cases. Um, so mm -hmm. I think being, but it's, 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 as you say, when you have to be part of hyper growth, you have to perform at an extreme level all the time and you have to be ready to to be very agile you have to be ready to change your direction a lot of different times and you have to have it to be honest you have to have a high stress tolerance you have to have a high um you have to have a high ability or you have to okay how do i say this you have to find joy in things being unpredictable if you're the kind of person who who gets really nervous when things don't go the way that you planned, it's going to be hard. Like, so I think, I think, um, and then it's important to take care of yourself in that sense too, because once you get VC money and you have institutional investors who, you know, great as they are, have a different, have, have their own ambition with the company now. Their, as you said, their ambition now is to get a huge return on it. Mm -hmm. And if your ambition with it is to build a beautiful company with, you know, you just have to make sure that your visions are aligned so that you're talking to your investors, you're talking, mm -hmm. you as the CEO might spend, honestly, as much time as with your investors as you do with your customers. And that might feel like a weird thing. So you have to think about, do you want to spend a lot of time with these people? Do you want to spend a lot of time fundraising? Do you have that, um, can you find joy in standing in front of a, an investment group and pitching and pitching and pitching and getting no, 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 and then getting a couple of yeses? Are those yeses good enough to make you celebrate? Then probably VC is the right way for you. But I think it's important to be critical about who you bring in because there's a big difference between like from investor to investor. Some people, um, so, so take the time to do due diligence on whoever you bring into the company because those people are now your family and you have to deal with them on a daily basis. Um, or at least or at least on a regular basis for for many years um it's not like you just bring them in the door and then they kind of disappear that's rarely the case especially when things start going wrong you have to take, talk to them a lot so find some people that you generally like and where you um have the same dreams for the company i think that's probably the most important thing så var det tid for å snakke om Tripletex som er mitt regnskapsprogram Tripletex er veldig fleksibelt og det passer for alle. Det kan skaleres opp og ned etter behov, og bedriftning kan også vokse med Tripletex. Dette systemet passer fra de aller minste til de litt enda større firmaene. De er faktisk det mest brukte webbaserte regnskapsprogrammet i Norge, med over 85 000 kunder, sikkert flere enn det også, og jeg er i hvert fall veldig fornøyd. Du får alt du trenger i et system, regnskap, faktura, lønn, timeføring, årsoppgjør, prosjekt, reise og utlegg. Så jeg har brukt Tripletex i over et år nå, og veldig fornøyd. Si fra hvis du trenger hjelp. De har en veldig god supportavdeling også, som hjelper deg hva enn du trenger hjelp til. Så det ligger også en link her nede www.tripletex.no slash gratis. Da kan du prøve det gratis i 14 dager. Yeah, how did you do that with Blue Lobster? Did you take on any investors and how, how did you do that? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we brought on, we brought on investors. And I think we, uh, and I think that's actually one of my learnings from it is that we should have, I think we brought in investors who were also amongst the investors there were slightly different dreams of what we wanted i think what motivated us all that we had a passion about the mission like we wanted to make the sustainable fishing or sustainable fishing more prominent so we had we were driven by this bigger mission and i think we would have done well mm. to spend a little more time talking about how are we going to get there are we going to invest in storage rooms are we going to invest in more tech 
when are we trying to break even? What, like, how much money do we want to spend on growth versus when do we want to be profitable? And those conversations, I think, are important to have at a very early stage. So you make sure that you have, like, that, that everyone's kind of running in the same direction. Mm -hmm. would, you, would you do it all over again if you could? Yeah, yeah, I think I would. I think I would. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm happy with what we've built and I'm happy about the journey so far and I'm just excited to keep going. So yeah, I think I would have done it all again, even though it's been tough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's been tough. Um, it's challenges along the way, but but look at you now. It's like you've had, it's five years or six years since you started. Yeah, f five years. We started in. Uh, we started working on the idea in 18, and we officially launched the company in 19. So, uh, so yeah, five years or so. And along that way, you've also met Barack Obama. Talk about that. How is it to meet him? You probably got that question a lot of times, but yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy, <laughs> honestly. So, so yeah, we were. Um, the Obama Foundation spotlighted us when we were really young. We're like we were, um, we were just getting started with the project, and that meant everything for us because suddenly everyone took us seriously. All the people who thought we were just like some silly little school project actually um, wanted to meet with us and talk to us about our business, um, which we considered a serious business. And and to be honest, a lot of people in the industry, I remember them saying, "Oh, you were the girls with the school project," um, even though it was never actually a school project, but. Um, so that early validation from the Obama Foundation actually meant a lot for us because it opened so many doors. And mm -hmm. I've had the pleasure of meeting him um, a few times now, actually. I think like one time online and then three times in person. So <laughs> it's, get, it's getting off and, and he's, he's really great. And we sat like, um, and he really spends time to sit down and talk to us about our work and um, and when I say us I mean myself and the other leaders who are part of the Obama Foundation uh, program and I mean at COP26 we sat down for two hours and um, we spent a whole day where he walked around um, last year where he just walked around with different tables with us and spoke to us about what was tough and what wasn't tough and uh, one of the things we talked about was for example mental health and how uh, how you work through um, just trying to make a change because it can be so tough and how like you have this big mission you have all this stuff and suddenly your body needs to keep up like you have this high ambition level for your company for your mission you have this endless to-do list you have endless ideas and dreams and suddenly your body and your mind actually has to be able to keep up with that level of activity for a really long time so i love the fact that he'll sit down and actually have a conversation with us about that as well and share his experiences and we can share ours and we can just sit and and talk about something that uh, seems somehow simple yeah it's actually incredibly important exactly it seems so simple but also so hard because you just want to get through that to-do list and you just want to you would just want to break things and go further and you know there is a really hard uh prioritization uh, in your mental health life you need to take care of your body and your mind at the same time build so this is highly highly relevant and i also like having my own company i i feel this on my body as well what am i prioritizing now what am i not prioritizing and and stuff so as a female founder as well what did you what what is your best advice for early stage female founders and um yeah my um my my best advice is to uh I'm thinking, three, I'm th okay, I'm just gonna say it. I have three things in my mind when, when you ask for someone just starting off as a female founder, what would I do? One, I, as we said, take care of yourself, find ways to work, live in, like work a life, live a work life that you enjoy, 
where you're not feeling stressed out, where you're, you've got your weekends free and all of that stuff. Um, where you're living in balance, where you feel like you're still enjoying the journey. The second would be to to trust yourself, to really go for it, to ha to dream bigger than you allow yourself, because this is just something that women are for some reason a bit worse at than men. Like allow yourself to dream all the way big and go out and assert that dream onto other people and um, be ballsy. <laughs> like if you know, we have we see statistically, women don't found companies by themselves, men do. And then it's kind of like, okay, well, that's maybe an okay thing because co-found like, teams with more than one co-founder actually do better. But there is also something in that statistic saying men don't wait to around to find a co-founder. Women have to find someone that can do the journey with them. So we need to back ourselves a little bit more as well and just say, you know, if you have the dream, go, 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 go. We can do it. And then the third is mm. Um, mm. be aware of your valuation because we know that women are getting smaller valuations when they bring in investors. So... um Make sure you're talking to your male oh. counterparts. Get, I mean, I personally spend a lot of time with also my male friends, also, and I and I talk to them about the issues I'm having. So if I have, if I have, a, you know, guy friends who have companies, I'm talking to them about their valuations and my valuation, and we're comparing. And I want to make sure that I'm getting the same as they're getting, and I and I won't, you know, I don't want to settle for less. And currently, women statistically are settling for less. So we should really find some good male counterparts that um, are friends and allies or whatever you want to call mm -hmm. them and work with them to make sure that you're not missing out on, on leaving money on the table. I agree. I agree. Did you feel you had, like, what did you feel you lacked when you started your company? Did you have something you felt you lacked? Um, I mean, to be honest, time. <laughs> I just felt like I didn't have enough time for anything. Um, but to be honest, it was also, we launched straight, I went full time in January, 2020. So we launched straight into COVID. And so I think I lacked absolutely everything except for sickness around me. Everything, everything was just a chaos. So, um, so I, I don't even think I could, I couldn't identify one thing that I thought I lacked. It was like the market crashed around us as we launched. Um, so there was a lot of things we lacked, mostly just good market conditions, but also time as it personally. Mm -hmm. What do you invest in personally? Um, I, well, so, so currently right now I'm working with an investment group, but we invest in tech and we work it, we invest in scalable tech and, um, early stage. I personally love working with early stage. We do follow on investments too. So if we know if it gets further, but I love that idea of like, when you're not really, sh when you just have someone in front of you and you can see the passion, you can see like the energy is coming out of their eyes and the ear holes and everything. They're just excited. And, uh, and that's what I'm looking for. And I'm looking for competent teams. Cause the truth is when you start off really early and you invest in the early stage, you can have the greatest idea ever. And everyone has a budget that says, you, <laughs> and I mean, like who actually makes those budgets, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like very few people, <laughs> let's be honest. So the, what you want to, what you're looking for are people who are passionate enough, who seem resilient enough and who seem skilled and who seem like a team that can actually carry through the vision in many different forms, because the, the company is not going to look like the way you think when you start off, it's going to change many times. So you're looking for people who won't be scared of that journey and who will, uh, who will be able to execute at a mm. high level. Ah, exactly. Being able to execute and yeah, you need to see the power and the, the will in their eyes. And this is the last question. This is the question I always ask in business talk. And if you got five million, so will they will take your Danish, right? Five million Danish krona right now. What would you do with them? I I think I would just invest in early stage female founders. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I would do. 
yeah i think that would be that would be fun to do and i think it would be useful and I'd find some female founders with some some good missions and who uh who seem like they could they could do the journey and that's where that, that's what i would spend my money on wow that's a good mission and uh, let's keep on doing that uh, investing in more female founded teams that will be really helpful so if you're an investor listen to this podcast episode let's go in and check out nima tistal where can people find you if they want to connect um well i'm on linkedin i think that's uh, always a good place i'm also on instagram but that's a way more personal and you'll have to listen to like a lot of daily rants about what's going on in uh, in my daily life but yeah, if you want to do that, go on Instagram, but otherwise on LinkedIn, it's a lot more professional over there. <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much for your time, Nima. It was amazing speaking with you. Hey, you too. Thanks for it. Bye.